Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 22nd of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The government is looking to do a U-turn and renegotiate a contract that the Department of Integration has signed with the D-Hotel in Drogheda. The contract is for the hotel to house and protection applicants for a two-year period. Since the deal was announced, there has been a public backlash because of how the town will lose its largest hotel. When people voiced their concerns, the minister said the contracts are signed. When local people asked if there could be a dual-purpose solution to the issue that would see the hotel house asylum seekers as well as function as a normal hotel for paying guests, the minister said no, that would not be possible because of child protection concerns. Fast forward to this week and the same minister, Rodrigo Gorman, now seems to think that what was impossible last week is now possible this week. In fact, the same minister, the Taoiseach and other members of the cabinet have not just said that last week's impossibility is this week's possibility, but they say that they're actively working on making this possibility happen. The minister's cack-handed approach to housing refugees in Drogheda is not just a monumental error that is undoubtedly causing the government great embarrassment, but behind the government's blushes is the very real concern of how huge Huge amounts of money, millions of euro, are at risk of being squandered. If the deal is worth 25 million euro to the D over two years and the deal is changed so that it becomes a dual-purpose hotel, will that mean that the government will honour its contract with the D and pay 25 million euro for its use of the hotel. Will that also mean it has to pay to accommodate half of the refugees elsewhere? for 12.5 million euro. Put them together, that's 37.5 million euro instead of the 25 million euro it was going to pay originally. And does that mean that the D will be able to pocket all of the additional money that it'll generate through its paying guests? I have no idea, Michael, and it's not for me or you to get into contracts and what is a private contract with a private individual. No, no, it's with taxpayers' money, Minister. I think... 
I excuse me, Madam Minister, with respect. Whether or not this is going to be used uh, for international protection, Minister, or Minister, or whether there's going to be a change and what that means. Do, 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 Minister, are you saying that people don't have a right to know what the government is going to do with 25 million euro worth of taxpayers' money? No, I don't. But I'm saying no. I don't. Okay, know. so what I'm asking you is in relation to that. I'm because because questions that I don't know and I can say that now I don't know no you said so okay well, uh, questions because it's a commercial contract but that of course will something be something that's made public but I don't know so I can't answer okay. genuinely something uh, okay so well I what would you think of it what, 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 what would you what would you think of that <laughs> if that was the case because the contracts have been signed uh, the D hotel uh, nobody has corrected us uh, and we base this on 70 euro per pillow per night which is we believe to be the going rate uh, over the two year contract uh, will uh, receive 25 million euro from the government uh, for uh, the service that it will provide to international protection applicants that's a, a, a legal agreement it's a contract it's signed and sealed uh, and if now the government is going to try to renegotiate that. Do you believe that this will uh, uh, um, result in additional income for the hotel? And again, that I don't know because the negotiations are not something that I'm involved in. So if there were to be changes, that would have to be discussed. It it may or may not. And of course, if there were to be changes, people would have a right to know and a right to see what those changes are. But it's a serious question. Minister Helen McEntee was unable to answer our questions yesterday about how much this U-turn is going to actually cost. Let's remind ourselves now of what Minister Rodrigo Gorman said last week about the D Hotel being a dual-purpose hotel. In terms of our approach to hotels and deputy, you asked the question about shared use of hotels and the like, and that does happen sometimes, usually when the hotel is providing accommodation for adults, usually when it's adult males. And in those situations, we can look at some sort of shared uh, use uh, approach. Where a hotel is being used for children, though, and that's the case here, it'll be families, there are significant complications there, particularly in terms of, 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 of child protection. And look, uh, you know, again, we're the Department of Integration, but as the Department of Children, those child protection elements are, are, are obviously hugely uh, important for us. Rodrigo Gorman, now let's hear what the Taoiseach said about this yesterday. Leo Vratker was responding to local TDs in the Dáil, the first of whom was Labour's Jed Nash. Drada will lose 56% of its tourism hotel beds in March and the nature of the uh, Department of Integration's arrangement with the D Hotel must be re-examined. The town of Drogheda, as you know, uh, Taoiseach, has a long and proud history of social solidarity, of tolerance, of pluralism, and that continues. And for the vast majority uh, of the people of my town, this was only and ever about the loss of key hotel beds. And here is the evidence. On Saturday, the far right organised a protest in my hometown. 300 people attended. The important point is 41,000 Rahidians didn't. Now, the economic impact of this decision is very real, and evidence shows a loss of at least 5.4 million euros in revenue locally. There needs to be a mitigation package. As you know, Tishigai proposed last week that a dual-use tourism and international approach should come into play, and I want to have your views on that. Now, we know that Ukrainian families are hosted in hotels side by side with tourists, and there are no child protection issues, and the D Hotel shouldn't be any different. So, will you accept, Taoiseach, uh, and work with me and with Minister O'Gorman on the constructive proposal I made uh, for dual use in the D Hotel? I think the government owes that much uh, to 41,000 Rohedians. 
Thanks, uh, thanks, Deputy. I, I think I think Drogheda is a great town. Uh, it's a town I've uh, a personal affection for because when, when my father came to this country, uh, dragged back to Ireland by his Irish wife, um, he needed to find a job uh, and found it hard to get a job, uh, but found a job in Our Lady of Lords, uh, working in the paediatric service there, and uh, always speaks fondly of that town and the people who live there. Um, and I know it's a welcoming town to migrants. Um, it's a town that has its troubles, but one in which we've put a lot of investment into in recent years. New roads, new housing, major improvements at the hospital, uh, IDA lands purchased uh, in order to drive job creation, uh, and a lot of good things happening in Drada. Certainly the situation around criminal activity and gangs has improved considerably as well, and I want to thank the Guardian Drada particularly uh, for their work uh, on that. And I do understand um, where the people of Drada are coming from in their concerns about this. Uh, I want to pay tribute to the three TDs from Drada for the approach you've taken, uh, and also to the councillors in Drada Borough for the approach they've taken, thank their you, credit Keisha. to their town. Um, what I just want to say in relation to this deputy is Minister Gorman is meeting the Chamber of Commerce and the bids today. Uh, he's going to meet the councillors tomorrow. Um, we want, if at all possible, we want to, want to use a dual-use option for the D Hotel. Done in my constituency, done in Dundalk. It can be done. Uh, we think that's the best solution. Um, we're not sure that the operator will fully cooperate, uh, and there may be issues around child protection and so on. I'm sure those things can be sorted out. Thank you, And, and we want to. And that would be the best, uh, best um, outcome, I think, uh, for Drada. And just finally, I, I heard about the protest, and I understand that during the protest, which was a far-right protest, um, people, were, people from the town were asked to come up, come up and speak, and they couldn't find very many. Yeah, well, actually, uh, the Taoiseach uh, might be interested to know that what was suggested, first of all, at that far-right rally on Saturday was that somebody who is in business in Drogheda would come up and speak at the rally. Uh, there wasn't one businessman who came forward. Then there was a call for somebody from Drogheda to come up and speak at the rally. Nobody came forward. Then money was offered, €20, euro, €30, euro, €40, euro, €50. Euro. <laughs> this is true. Uh, eventually, somebody got up uh, and spoke and uh, went through a litany of crimes that people uh, who were born outside of Ireland committed and suggested uh, that the same type of crimes would be committed by the individuals coming to the D Hotel, tarnishing 500 people before they even arrived. 500 people who this person knew nothing about whatsoever. Anyway, let's uh, go back to the doll, the second TD based in Drogheda to raise concerns about the D Hotel with the Taoiseach yesterday was Fine Gael's Fergus O'Dowd. Taoiseach, over 100,000 people have found refuge in our country in the last couple of years for war and from famine and so on. And it's in very important decisions have been made. But the people of Drogheda are extremely angry or concerned that the fact they're using, they're losing their only remaining function hotel. They're more than willing to play their part, but this is not acceptable. They're losing a resource that is essential. Could I ask Tishuk that you would meet yourself with public reps and business and leaders in the community to find a solution to this? But the policy is wrong. It is seen as arrogant and uncaring right now. And I note that the intention of the minister is, is he, he wants to do what's best, but this is the wrong way to deal with the problem. It's giving a voice to those who are extremists in our community, and we need urgent and immediate and effective resolution of the problem. Um, thanks, Deputy. My, my office um, are trying to set up those meetings as we speak, uh, based on our conversation last uh, Thursday or Friday, I think it was. Um, 
and I just want to put on the record that Drada is a town that welcomes migrants and has done from all parts of the world for all sorts of different reasons. Um, and I understand the concern that taking out such a large hotel will have a major negative impact on a town, a town that has come on so much in recent years. So the solution Mr Gorman is working on uh, is a dual-use option where some of the hotel will provide accommodation for people seeking protection, but the rest of the hotel can still be open to tourists and visitors and still operate function rooms and so on. Uh, it is done elsewhere, including in my own constituency. I hope we can make that the solution and then perhaps some, some, some additional finance for community facilities uh, as well in the town. And I think we can get there. Um, but we will need the cooperation of the operator uh, and also to sort out any issues that might arise around safety and child protection. Taoiseach Leo Radker is, of course, quite correct to say that uh, the refugees will be welcomed by the people of Drogheda. That's why very few people from Drogheda protested on Saturday. They didn't want to be associated with the far right and the hatred that the far right is trying to spread against immigrants by holding rallies of this sort. But the people of Drogheda are, of course, taxpayers and they're not fools and they are concerned not just about the hotel, but I would imagine they're concerned about how much the government is spending on all of this now because it seems as though Rodrigo Gorman has changed his mind or was he told to act differently after signing a legally binding contract with the D Hotel to what we understand to be worth in the region of 25 million euro. Did the Taoiseach tell him to undo that? Uh, But uh, undoubtedly, uh, it'll still cost 25 million euro, uh, but you'll only get half the value, half of the refugees, 250 of the refugees, if it is to be a dual purpose hotel, 50-50. So 25 million for 250 refugees instead of 20 25 million for 500 refugees over the course of two years. But you still have 250 refugees who have to be housed somewhere, so that's an additional 12.5 million euro, a grand total, if you like, of 37.5 million euro instead of 25 million euro. And then, I suppose, the next question about all of that is why wasn't that done in the first place? And what is it that the government Government, uh, is doing if it's going to spend whether it's 25 million or 37 and a half million euro if you take into account that the hotel was sold a year ago for 11 million 11 million versus 37 and a half million over two years why don't they buy hotels anyway uh, the next local TD uh, in Drogheda based in Drogheda to raise issues about the D hotel with the Taoiseach yesterday that we're about to hear now is Imelda Munster Taoiseach I want to raise the issue the problems raised by the your government's policy of privatising immigration and the impact that it has on communities um, the services and indeed people seeking um, international protection. Not once were public reps in Drogheda, the TDs contacted in advance of that contract being signed for our opinions or how it would impact our town. It was only after the contract was signed. But you said over the weekend that a partial um, reversal of that decision decision could, was being examined, the dual use option. But the minister told us the day before that that was not possible whatsoever, that the contract had been signed. Now we're 16 days out from the change. You have said that you're examining it now. Can you tell us what progress is made? When will we know? But could you also tell us that you had said that you, were, you acknowledged that in three other areas the dual use option was used? 
So why was that not used as part of the negotiations for the D Hotel in Drogheda? Why was nothing done until the contract was signed? And when are we going to know if that dual option that the Minister said is impossible can Thank be changed, you. if you can change it? I presume you're Thank not you. just stringing people Time along in Drogheda. Thanks, Deputy. Deputy, it can be done because it's done in Blanchardstown, it's done in Dundalk, so I, I know it can be done. Uh, this is the dual-use option. Um, it will require a change to the contract. Uh, that's the truth of it. Um, uh, but I think it can be done, and I think it will be the best outcome all round. Um, and, look, perhaps that's what should have been done in the first place, uh, and I acknowledge that, but we are where we are now, uh, and uh, we're working on that solution. Uh, serious admission of... Uh, poor performance uh, from the Taoiseach saying that that's what should have been done in the first place that instead of signing a contract that took over the hotel for two years the contract should have been to take over part of the hotel so that it could be dual purpose it really is a climb down from the government it is most embarrassing because we are literally talking about millions and millions of euro the Taoiseach they're saying that this is something he believes can happen now despite legally binding contracts he, he thinks that it can happen uh, but it would require uh, the cooperation of the hotel the hotel has made its position clear. It's not possible. The D Hotel says that's uh, for reasons of child protection. So there you are. Uh, now, the government is spending a fortune uh, on housing immigration uh, immigrants. Uh, there is a serious question as to whether it's spending that money wisely. Uh, this is a, an issue that was raised later in the day by another Sinn Féin TD, John Brady. Peter, can I ask, are audits currently being undertaken in communities where decisions have been taken to place refugees? Because as far as I can see, none are being carried out. And in my own constituency of, of Wicklow, there are over 100 Ukrainians now in a small rural village of, of Carnu, which has a, a part-time GP service, and it currently takes two to three weeks for people to get an appointment. The local secondary school is at capacity. Uh, they're relying on porter cabins which are, are stacked high and pupils are, are crammed in. Similar issues in Tinnahili and in Bonded Glass where there are sizable numbers of Ukrainians located. And now we hear that IPAS are looking at a, a premises in Dunlavin, another rural area to house 32 people. An area with similar challenges in respect to school places, GPs, etc. This is rural West Wicklow, Tisha, where public transport is non-existent. So can I ask you, Taoiseach, is the government being led by speculators who are making millions from this process, or is there an actual plan that Thank looks you, at services and amenities in areas deputy. before a decision you. is taken and address any deficit? Otherwise, the government is I failing communities deputy, and indeed refugees. Taoiseach? There's only one thing we're being led by, uh, and that's the realities around the world and the realities on the ground. There are more people on the move in the world now than at any time since uh, the Second World War. Uh, millions of people have left Ukraine, um, people leaving uh, Africa and the Middle East uh, for lots of different reasons, poverty, conflict, war. Um, about one and a half, two million people entered, uh, entered the European Union irregularly last year. Not a surprise that one or two percent of them uh, might come to Ireland. In relation to Ukraine, I'm proud of the fact that we've welcomed 100,000 Ukrainians to Ireland. I don't think we'll regret that in 10 or 20 years' time. I think it reflects very good in our society. About 80,000 of them are still here. I appreciate that puts pressure on services uh, anywhere the population increases. What we've tried to do around healthcare is provide a visiting GP service uh, so that uh, it doesn't put additional pressure on existing practices. 
provide additional resources to the schools as well and where we can put in transport. Thank you, uh, But I, I, I totally appreciate that in some places um, that still hasn't been done or is still in process. Thank you. That's the Taoiseach Leo Vadker. Now, if you'd like to make comment on the programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, you remember Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022. In July of 2022, the government asked people to host Ukrainians and offered €400 to people who accepted that offer tax-free. In December of the same year, 2022, that was increased to €800 for hosting Ukrainian refugees. And yesterday, the government brought a motion to the doll that would see that payment uh, be extended up until the 25th of March. Minister, what we're dealing with here is the €800 Euro tax repayment that is made available to hosts and landlords who provide their properties to Ukrainians and the extension of the scheme for another year. And I want to acknowledge that this was brought about two years ago at a time of great uncertainty. But we now need to look at its impact and look at its fairness. I want to take the opportunity to applaud the generosity of thousands of Irish families who opened up their own family homes to thousands of Ukrainians. We need to provide certainty to Ukrainians who are currently availing of the scheme that they will continue to be supported by extending the scheme to 2025. However, like any policy, we must achieve balance and avoid unintended consequences. And it is clear that what the government are proposing will provide an incentive for the displacement of private renters who are not beneficiaries of temporary protection. And that is not fair. It was hard enough to find a place, never mind an affordable place to rent. But for many now, they simply cannot compete with a government scheme that provides €800 tax-free to landlords who provide their their properties to beneficiaries of temporary protection. So it is a scheme, Minister, that is in direct competition with private renters. Sinn Féin raised these issues in the Shannon with you last week, but it's clear that the government haven't listened. When you spoke about this scheme in November of last year, Minister Gorman said, we do not want to pursue a measure that interferes with the private rental market. I agree with that statement. But that is precisely what we have here and what government are doing. So take my own county of Donegal, where the average rent is close to €800. A landlord can either rent out a property to a private renter for 800 euros, he'll then or she'll then have to pay tax on that 800 euros, or on the other hand, they can take 800 euros tax-free and rent it out to a beneficiary of temporary protection. Now, landlords have been very open about the choice they face across the state minister. One landlord says, and I quote, I get 800 euro tax-free, equal to about 1,500 euro in rent, which is more than I would get for the place, end of quote if you rented it out to the private market. So how is this fair, Minister? How is that not interfering with the private rental market? So our amendment is about supporting Ukrainians who are currently availing of the scheme by extending it for another year and supporting host families who have opened their family homes, including for future applicants. But it roots out the unfairness at the heart of the scheme. The state should not be providing support to a home for those benefiting of temporary protection that would otherwise be available to private renters. Those who open up their family homes to Ukrainian should be continued to be supported. But if that room was previously let out under a rent-a-room scheme, it should not be supported, as all you're doing is directly denying the student in need of that accommodation. 
So, Minister, this scheme is already impacting on private renters. It's clear. Extending it in full for another year will make matters worse. And worse still, the impact will be greater in the time ahead as government policy is now to increase social welfare payments to Ukrainians who secure private rental accommodation. That's the policy in the future. So that will turbocharge the pressures which renters are already experiencing. Now, I think I said uh, before we listened to that piece uh, that the government motion was to extend the scheme to the 25th of March. I should have, of course, said to March in 2025 to extend the scheme for another year. You probably guessed that listening to Pierce Doherty's contribution uh, in that debate yesterday. Now let's hear from Holly Kearns, the leader of uh, the Social Democrats. As it stands, the state is far too reliant on the private market and is wholly dependent on entering into expensive contracts while private providers for accommodation for Ukrainians, as they have done for 24 years under direct provision. Handing over our responsibility to accommodating and caring for asylum seekers to private entities who have profited massively from the state failure while treating asylum seekers appallingly along the way. A clear plan for the future of Ukrainians in Ireland is needed. The Temporary Protection Directive ends in March next year. Ukrainians need clarity on what happens next. The Temporary Protection Directive was an EU-wide response triggered for the very first time because of the biggest mass movement of refugees across Europe since the foundation of the EU. There must be an EU-wide agreement on what the response will be when the directive expires in 2025. The government must outline its preferred approach and communicate clearly with the Ukrainian community. 92% of all hosts say that they have had a positive experience, with 74% stating they would recommend hosting to others. The main challenge faced by host families were language and cultural barriers, as well as onward accommodation planning. This is something that the Minister might address. The financial supports are important to hosts, but there needs to be more work done on improving practical supports in order to ensure that the hosting experience is as positive an experience as possible for everyone. Hosting should be put into our integration strategy permanently on some level, but we can't rely on it to the extent that we do now, and we can't continue to only make it available to one specific category of people seeking protection in Ireland. We need a clear, short, medium and long-term plan from government when it comes to housing asylum seekers and Ukrainians under temporary protection. There are currently 970 international protection applicants on the streets with numbers likely to breach 1,000 by the end of the week. Which is really, really abominable. It is just so horrible to think that that is the case. Let's hear another contribution now to this uh, debate from Fianna Fáil TD, John McGuinness. Ciarán Cora, this morning in media reports, uh, it states that there's almost a thousand asylum seekers on our streets uh, living in tents. Uh, And this is at a time when the department that is supposed to be looking after uh, asylum seekers Uh, is rejecting properties around the country that have gone through the five stages to qualify. Alongside that, you have the 13,000 homeless. Is it not time that you would look at these figures and use the properties that have been rejected, thereby allowing those that invested in those properties to have some supports that they expected in the beginning from the state? It appears to me that there is not joined up thinking here and that the policy in that the in terms of asylum seekers uh, is, is really a shambles 
and the properties remain uh, refurbished but vacant. So, um, thanks, Deputy. It is the case that there are almost uh, a thousand asylum seekers um, who have sought accommodation by the state and have not received it. Um, we're just no longer in a position anymore to provide uh, state accommodation to uh, every asylum seeker that comes into the country. Uh, and we need to make sure that people know that. So if they are leaving uh, another safe country where they have accommodation, um, it's inadvisable to come to Ireland, uh, at least until we're in a much better space uh, around accommodation. Um, it's not the case, though, that they're all in tents or on the streets. Uh, many have found uh, accommodation, often with people they know from back home or various networks uh, that people have. Um, in relation to those properties, not familiar with them. There may be good reason. There might not be. So perhaps if there's two or three that you're particularly aware of, uh, if you can give me the information, some details on them, uh, and I'll get my people to follow it up and see if there's a good reason. Sometimes there's a good reason that the owner mightn't tell you. The uh, Leo Vracker responding to Fianna Fáil TD, John McGuinness. Michael Reed on LMFM. Listening this morning to concerns from TDs about how much money the government is spending and if it is getting value for money with the money that it is spending on housing refugees. We have this incredible situation at the moment that the government is offering so much to hotels that they can't resist the offer. The D Hotel, for example, was, was getting a, an income of 100 euros per night, and then the government came around with a contract of 312 euros per night, which is an incredible uh, contract in terms of uh, value for money for this government. Uh, we've also found out through a parliamentary question to your department, Minister, that, the, that you have bought 37 buildings in the last 12 months for the provision of accommodation to asylum seekers. And you've only been able to, to confirm to me in parliamentary questions that one of those has actually been used. One out of 37 buildings. Uh, it's an incredible situation. 85% of all the rooms that were pledged for Ukrainians were never activated. And about 700 of the planned rapid build buildings that you promised two years ago, only about half of those are in existence at the moment. And this is because this government doesn't do anything in a rapid fashion. There's a major problem in this government in terms of the delivery of capital projects. It's seen right through society. And this is another example of that. Into's Patrick O'Bean. Now let's hear from Independent TD Michael McNamara. This relates to beneficiaries of temporary protection, i.e., uh, persons from Ukraine who have have come to Ireland, and um, it, it seems to me, um, Minister, that uh, of course the state was stretched to find accommodation quickly, and you did what you could, and you're to be commended for that, and so are the people who provided accommodation, but two years later to not have something more systematic in place and to have such a lack of checks of the accommodation being provided is scandalous because throwing money at a problem is understandable at the start, but to be still throwing money at a problem without a plan two years later is not understandable and it is not acceptable. Because I'm aware of direct provision centres, that there is, and I don't really want, I have to be careful not to conflate direct provision centres with centres that accommodate uh, beneficiaries of temporary protection, because of course they are two different things. But the lack of oversight from your department in both is similar. There, there, there are inspections, as my understanding, that are being carried out, are being carried out with a view to determining 
that they meet build regulations, safety regulations, etc. And that is to be commended. Of, of course these inspections are important. But so too are inspections that determine how many people are staying in a, in a facility that the state is paying a lot of money for. Deputy um, uh, Tobin just highlighted the amounts that are being offered in respect of one particular uh, 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 hotel. I, I wasn't aware that they were that high. <clears throat> I fear for you that other hotels that are offering accommodation for less will now say, well, if you're prepared to pay that amount in Drogheda, you can pay that amount in, in, in Listunvarna or in Killarney or in Glinties or wherever. But in any event, what supervision is there of occupancy levels? Uh, that's Independent TD, Michael McNamara. Let's go to Killarney, or at least to Kerry Independent TD, Danny Healy Ray next. I raised this issue with Michal Martin the Tallest a number of weeks ago. And I said it was totally unfair to give one section uh, of the people in the country now an advantage over other people and that is of private renters, our own people. It's grand he can give what he wants the Ukrainians, but he must do the very same thing for, for our own people. And how do you expect any uh, person that's trying to live uh, and, and has a house to rent, to rent a house out at 800 euros and, and, and pay half it back in tax? Or if he put local people into it, are people, our own people that are homeless. And as, as against getting 800 tax free from the state. Now he must be fair or he mustn't be there at all. And I'm getting very worried that every day that we have him in power, that he is doing more damage and this country will f finish up totally and absolutely broke the way you're flitting around with money. And you see, it's not your money. It's the people that get out in the morning early and work and pay maybe 40% of their income in tax and pay 4.5% USC down, down on top of it. That's, that's what that's what the wrong is. It's not your money. Right, we'll give the last word on this to the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman. I was criticised uh, by a number of deputies in terms of um, value for money. And yet I would put it forward that the uh, uh, accommodation recognition payment does represent very clear value for money in terms of uh, a, a saving for the state at a time where we are expanding significant sums of money in terms of meeting the accommodation uh, needs of Ukrainians. And that is accepted. And the accommodation recognition payment is a far more cost-effective means and probably a far better means for Ukrainians in terms of their independence. It was also criticised by a number of deputies in terms of the impact in tourism. And that's recognised. And you, I absolutely... Uh, Deputy McNamara recognised that certainty impact has been more in certain parts of the country. But right now there are 22,000 people in accommodation supported by the accommodation recognition payment who aren't in hotel beds. And I think that has to be recognised as well because one of the core reasons we introduced this was to provide options. So we weren't just relying on the, uh, the tourism sector. So we have 75,000 people, uh, sorry, uh, 75,000 people in accommodation right now, 22,000. It is a very significant proportion of, uh, of, 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 of the accommodation needs of Ukrainians. And without this, 
I don't think we'd see that level of take-up and we would have probably an even greater degree of pressure on the tourism sector. Now, let's hear what you make of all of this. Pat has been on the phone to us. Thanks for your call today, Pat. Pat wants to know, why is Michael agitating uh, the far right? Uh, He should leave it to the powers uh, that be who are charged with uh, dealings with these groups. Uh, He says, I shouldn't be giving them a platform or a reason to be pontificating. Thank you indeed, Pat, for your call. Uh, Alice uh, says it's obviously not workable to keep uh, the hotel open to the public for overnight stays while simultaneously running it as a refugee accommodation centre. To attempt to do this would be a disaster for everyone. Uh, I'm not sure why, Alice, uh, because uh, we did hear from uh, the Taoiseach earlier on about how it's already being done in Blanchardstown and Dundalk. I think they were the two examples that Leo Radker gave. Uh, Lisa in touch with us too and she says uh, the government are consistently making a mess out of how they organise refugee accommodation. They did it from the start. Why do they not liaise with support groups uh, that have been set up to help people coming into the country? They are the experts in this field, so surely consulting with them would make some sense. Thank you indeed, Lisa, for your call. Our phone number is 041 text or WhatsApp 86 658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing in uh, the bulletins uh, this morning, today is EU Day for Victims of Crime. Let's speak uh, to Dignity for Patients, a group uh, that represents people who were victims of sexual crimes committed against them by a former doctor, Michael Scheim. Adrienne Riley is uh, the CEO for Dignity for Patients and joins us now. Good morning to you, Adrienne, and thank you for taking the time to be with us on the programme today. You're marking the day by calling for a public inquiry uh, into uh, the ongoing uh, or the goings-on of Michael Shine when he was a, a doctor based in Drogheda. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for inviting us on the show. Yeah, we felt, well, we feel very strongly that if there is this day that is acknowledged by the government because we've signed up to the EU Victims Directive and we celebrate this day as part of the EU recognising victims of crime that it would be remiss of us not to point out that there is a need to actually get some teeth into that. You know, um, the victims of crime from Michael Shine, as you know, have been working for a very long time looking for a public inquiry into what happened to them. And part of the EU Victim of Crime Day is that they say that it's about access to justice and accountable and inclusive institutions for victims of crime. But that has not been the experience of our victims. And I can discuss that Mm. more broadly with you. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, uh, some of our listeners may be confused by that uh, because Michael Shine was charged, prosecuted and uh, given a, a prison term. Uh, why do you believe justice has not been served? Because, first of all, it took a very long time for those um, cases to come to court. The initial court case fell apart in 2003 and it took decades until 2017 to get um, him into court, despite the fact that even in those trials that came to light, 
that there was evidence of sexual abuse as early as 1971 against a 13-year-old victim. So the access to justice pathways have been extremely difficult for our victims. And even though, yes, he was prosecuted and he served three years of a four-year sentence. So there has been limited access to justice, but there are a huge number of what we would call prosecutable cases that could, you know, see him brought back to court and prosecuted. But because of things that have happened, that there's been blockages now to that. Hmm. What things things have happened? So that's what I'm going to go on to the second part about inclusive and accountable institutions. The Director of Public Prosecution in 2017, during the course of that trial, forgot to send a letter to Michael Shine's solicitors for two years, letting them know they had another bunch of 25 cases that could be prosecuted. And because of that, Michael Shine's legal team were able to get a court of appeal judgment that said that he wouldn't have a right to fair trial and basically that they wouldn't be able to prosecute um, those cases. And now it looks like they won't be able to prosecute any further cases. So we're in the middle of a big For the same reason, Adrienne, is it? For for the exact same reason, based on that court of appeal judgment and their mistake. And in 2022, another 16 victims that we support were told that their cases wouldn't go forward because of that court of appeal judgment. And I talked to you about that at the time. So basically, we have got legal advice and we're now in the process of considering whether we're going to actually take a case against the DPP. Um, There's a number of things around that. First, it would be very costly, but secondly, um, you know, it it would be difficult to find somebody to take that cost liability on board. But thirdly, even if a case can't be taken because of the cost, I think we should have another programme about this, Michael. Mm. This has caused a massive miscarriage of justice. And it's very similar to what's happened with the postmasters in the UK and in the north of Ireland. When I watched that programme and I saw that man organise a group, bring them into rooms Mm. and fight through courts and lose cases. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. And they were told they were the only one. They were told that it didn't happen to anybody else. They were told that they could never take on the might of the post office. And when I actually got upset watching that because that's exactly the Michael Shine victims. As they came mm. forward, they were told, you're the only one. They were also told, you, c- you couldn't take him on. He's a powerful man. Mm. And they were also told that, um, you know, that there was no way this could be dealt with. So we we'll go back to where we started. Yeah. If, if all of those things closed down, mm. then we should get exactly what all the other groups that were successful, like the Postmasters, like mm. the Spiritans, we should have a public inquiry for the victims of Michael Shine. Yeah, Michael Shine. 350 of them mm. engaged with English patients. Michael Shine was notorious. Uh, he uh, abused uh, a lot of people, a lot of young men and a lot of children. Uh, uh, many of his crimes Mostly were children. Yeah, paedophilia, uh, ter- terrible crime. Uh, 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 but he was hiding in clear sight. Uh, everybody knew about it. Uh, uh, you've compared him to Jimmy Savile. Uh, and yeah. uh, we've learned after the event uh, and indeed after Jimmy Savile's death that a, a lot of people knew about it or were suspicious about it. Uh, there was a time in Drogheda uh, when kids were playing and fellas would taunt each other by saying, I'll send you up to Dr. Shine. And everybody knew what it meant. All the kids knew what it meant. All the people in the community had heard whispers. Uh, it, it, it was sort of known about, uh, but nobody ever did anything about it until somebody came forward, Bernard that Sullivan, and blew the whistle. Uh, and then Drogheda as a community rallied around Michael Shine. Uh, there's a lot of questions for a, a lot of people, a lot of people living in the Drogheda area, Eastmead area, uh, about what happened. Gardaí telling victims uh, who reported sexual crimes to them that they'd be prosecuted for trying to ruin the good name of yeah. an esteemed member yeah. of uh, the community. Yeah. Nurses, doctors, nuns rallied around Michael Shine to protect him from... Uh, being brought to justice. Yeah. And this, so, I mean, it's still beggar's belief that we continually have to, you know, have these discussions with uh, ministers to try and get a public inquiry. Now, I have to say one thing. We did have a very positive discussion with Justice Helen McEntee last October, and she is to come back to us because we clearly outlined to her a number of really important things that would allow a public inquiry to go ahead. One is there's an indemnity fund sitting with Arthur Cox at the time lodged for 1.6 million old pounds, as we'd say, in 1994 when the uh, nuns sold the hospital. And that is known as the Shine Fund and hasn't been touched. And last year, the nuns are trying uh, said, um, said they want to release money back to them. So we said to Helen McEntee, that money should be used for public inquiry. That is for the victims. The second thing is, we have all this information, not taking for patients. We're not starting from zero. So it's not like it would be a public inquiry with starting from the bottom. So there's two solutions to the usual ways for not allowing a public inquiry to go ahead. One, the cost, and two, you're starting from zero. Um, so hopefully Helen McEntee will step up and meet with the relevant Minister for Finance and the Minister for Health 
and have the discussion that's needed to let this public inquiry go ahead. And I totally agree with you. There's something, even if it wasn't intentional, all of these things, there's something in the optics of how Michael Shine has been dealt with that are completely, really unnerving for the victims. The fact that a car could go into Midlands Prison last two years ago, tomorrow two years ago, and get him from inside the prison and take him out just suggests that there's bigger things at stake around Michael Shine. And even if it's not true, that's what the victims believe because who gets a car driven in to pick them up in a prison? Okay. Um, you know, so I... There's think, also, I there's also today, the issue of people being castigated. Uh, it, it, it's not just a case of, of people acting unintentionally in a, a way that they thought was right to protect Michael Shine. But those who spoke up, certainly it was the case with Bernadette, those who spoke yeah. up were castigated. Yeah, yeah. And this is why we need a public inquiry. We need to know who knew what, how they dealt with it, how the guards dealt with it, how the hospital dealt with it. Um, you know, there's still nuns alive that have had oversight one of them actually spoke on the RTE programme about the last nuns in Ireland that was on a few weeks ago and said she came back from South America knowing that there were issues in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. So that person is still alive. That person should be brought or asked to attend a public inquiry to say what they knew. So this is our big call. It's EU Day for Victims of Crime. Mm. If our ministers and our government are serious about victims of crime, you know, that is access to justice for all and accountable and inclusive institutions. Mm. Please listen to what the victims are asking for and okay. give them the public inquiry that they need. Uh, and the nuns at the time would have run the hospital, uh, so the patients in yeah. the hospital would have been in uh, the care or there would have been a duty of care to those patients uh, that would have fallen on the nuns. The nuns never paid out anything by way of compensation uh, for that failure uh, in their duty of care, did they? They, Their insurers paid out two rounds of payments, one in 2012 and one in 2022, paltry payments to many people, as little as 20,000. And the reason that victims had to go down a civil justice route was because the criminal justice route was closed down at every turn. And when you have no other justice remedy, you have to take what's available despite receiving some financial redress, that is not what they were looking for. They were looking for a prosecution or, in the absence of that, a public inquiry and an official apology from the state, like the Magdalene Laundry apology, so that there's recognition by the state that this happened and that he was the biggest predator in the history of the Irish state, as I said, like Jimmy Savile, and that high-level public acknowledgement and apology is another thing that would go a long way to providing for victims of crime okay. and for this group in particular. You know, there are things, Michael, that can yeah. be done that aren't, you know, hugely costly. Like an apology, that's part of justice mechanisms. That's part of symbolic reparation. Acknowledge and apologise and recognise the victims. Say, we know this happened to you. We see you. We hear you. We apologise on behalf of the state of our failure. How hard is that? 
Okay, well, that's uh, what you're asking to happen alongside a a public inquiry today, EU Day for Victims Mm. of Crime. Adrienne, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Michael, thanks a million. You're very welcome. Adrienne Riley is uh, the CEO of Dignity for Patients. Let me bring you a couple of comments that have come to us on that issue. Tom says, Michael, the state knew about Dr. Michael Shine from an early stage, but we were allowed to wash, uh, we allowed them to wash their hands of it. Uh, that state, that same state should come back into this now. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Tom. Steve in touch with us uh, about the D-Hotel and refugees and he says if a hotel is solely for refugees, it then becomes a non-functioning hotel. No bar staff are needed and no need for cleaning rooms every day. Bed linen is available probably once a week. The refugees more or less do it themselves. If, however, the hotel becomes a dual-purpose hotel, i.e. paying guests as well, all facilities have to be made available. The bar staff, uh, in-house cleaners, etc. These people are speculators uh, who are running the hotels, uh, says Steve. Well, the D-Hotel has said, just uh, to uh, put uh, that uh, straight, that um, it will house 500 uh, international application uh, protection applicants. Uh, but it also said that the bar will remain open and that the restaurant will remain open to the public. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, that makes any difference uh, to the way you look on that, Steve, but thanks as always for your message. Uh, Mary uh, has been texting us too and she says Roderick O'Gorman has a difficult job but surely he has to learn to consult with uh, the elected representatives in the area and the people before final decisions are made. It would save a lot of money. Thank you indeed, uh, Mary, for your text to the programme today as well. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, I'm sure uh, you were stopped in your tracks. I think a lot of people at least were were stopped in their tracks uh, when they turned on the radio this morning and heard somebody else had died on the roads. It's every day at this stage. uh, And uh, it's a long time since that was uh, the situation uh, back in in the 1990s. Uh, You would turn on your radio every day and hear that somebody had died. We had an awful lot of progress uh, since then. Uh, in terms of road safety and fewer fatalities, but uh, we are at a decade high in terms of the number of fatalities on the roads. Uh, the latest was uh, a man, a pedestrian, crossing uh, the road last night uh, who was knocked down. Uh, I think it was with his uh, little daughter in Balana. The girl was taken to hospital as well, but uh, she seems to be okay. Uh, the man uh, has. Uh, since uh, deceased, obviously, um, it's uh, four people who have died over the course of uh, the last 48 hours. A young woman in Waterford, that was on Monday night. Two young guys killed in Limerick uh, on Tuesday evening. They were uh, uh, driving a, a car that struck a wall that resulted in their death. Um, it's just very hard to actually grasp the reality of it and how dangerous the roads have become again and what can be done to stop the carnage. Tony Toner, former Garda driving instructor and on-road driving consultant, joins us now. Good morning to you, Tony. Thanks for taking the time to be with us on the programme this morning. What do you think has gone wrong? Well, first of all, I have to... Uh, agree with all your sentiment there. It, it's it's very hard to get your head around this, and uh, for the, the families and 
circle of friends and the neighbourhoods of all these fatalities, it has a legacy effect that will that, that will be with them for for you know the, the rest of their days. Um, there's no doubt that the uh, engineering uh, that has gone into our road system over the last 20, 25 years has been phenomenal. It has transformed Ireland as a commercial nation. As, as If you want to go somewhere now, you don't talk about mileage, you talk about time, because you nip on the motorway and it's time. Uh, the cars were never safer. Never safer. The systems that's in a modern car today, even a car that's you know up to 10 years old, has safety systems and you can only dream about when I started driving. You couldn't even dream about them. They were space age. And now with AI and intelligence systems, the cars are getting safer and safer. The one element that is failing in all of this, and I'm not pointing the finger at any of the happenings that have occurred on our roads at all, but human error is, is where it's at. Um, you know, over 90% of our collisions are caused by us. Not an act of God, not the brown dog, you know, mm. not a mechanical failure on the vehicle. Us. We, we, we didn't see something, didn't react to it in time, uh, and we got collected in somebody else's bad decision. Mm. Uh, whatever the case may be. There are aspects of our lives, including the likes of fatigue, certainly distraction, which uh, add to the mix. Uh, and when you're driving along, you know, on our roads with 80k speed limits, 100k speed limits, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of pressure on the steering wheel to take it off the straight-ahead drive line, and all of a sudden you're veering in to, um, as we refer to it, the giggle weeds. Except there's nothing funny about it, mm. and you're in a loss of control then. What's that um, uh, giggle weeds? Explain that, Tony. Sorry. Well, it's 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 the shrubbery on the left-hand side oh, right. of the road. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the um, you know, bringing out more law, I don't think is a solution. I think education works. Hmm. It's worked in every other aspect uh, of, our, of our lives. Our young people are the most highly educated, uh, you know, of, of their ilk uh, across Europe uh, and regarded as such by multinationals who come and set up here simply because we've a highly educated and motivated young workforce and that motivation has to be captured when it comes to driving and they have to buy into not just them their parents as well they have to buy into the changes needed in road behaviour so as that we're not having conversations like this Michael Did you hear about uh, the checkpoint in Drogheda yesterday morning the guards stopped a lorry uh, the driver of the lorry was an unaccompanied learner with no tax, no insurance and no L-plates. Well, that's just renegade, isn't it? it it's, that's total disregard. You know, it's, it's not even anarchy. It's worse than that altogether. It's total disregard. You know? um, 
I've said it before to you, I use the sporting analogy all the time, Michael. We look at any sport on the planet. We didn't know much about darts until that young guy, Luke, uh, started throwing darts uh, over Christmas. And within days, everybody I knew knew the rules of darts and all of that stuff. And we supported it and watched it. We're enthused of it. But when it comes to our use of vehicles out in the domain of the road, how many people would pass the theory test this morning? How many people reflect back uh, and go online and put themselves through a theory test? You don't need to tell your friends, your family. Mm. Just do it in the QT. Go out and see where is your level of knowledge. Uh, I bring people out on the road on a regular basis, and it is amazing how many of the road signs and markings they don't know. Um, and some of them are new. The likes of warning lines, these heavy broken white lines that are uh, on our road network. Uh, and people think they're broken white lines uh, as they were here to book. No, they're not. Um, you know, uh, you have to know the rules of the game before you go on the pitch. Okay. Well, you know, we have to. And I, I would prefer to see um, some education approaches done rather than come out with a bigger stick. Uh, as Ireland, we, don't, Irish don't react to big sticks. As we, as we speak uh, this morning, Tony, your voice is coming out of many car radios. Uh, people are, are listening to you in their cars. Uh, maybe uh, we could conclude uh, by asking you to speak to people who are driving at the moment. Um, what would you say, uh, what's the message that you'd like them to take on board? Um, 40% of all collisions are rear-end shunts. I don't know uh, what the weather is like in Drada right now. Where I am, it's, it's damp. So if I'm driving down the road, I'm effectively four seconds behind a vehicle in front that I can see up his left, up his right side, what's dictating the base for them. I'm anticipating they could pull into the left or right, particularly if they are a service vehicle, a white van, a truck, you know what I mean? And, or indeed a domestic car that's finished commercial activity in the town of Drada and they're now on the way home to get ready for the kids coming in after lunch. Um, you know, we share the road. You have to anticipate that people are going to do um, uh, pull off the drive line you're on and, and exit. You have that end of it. As I say, 40% of all collisions are rear engines because we travel too close. The M50 shuts down every day because somebody shuns somebody. The M1 is the same. I hear it in the mornings from reports on your own station about uh, backlogs uh, at the various junctions because somebody has travelled too close, cannot stop, and they end up shunting the car in front and everybody gets delayed. Keep your concentration level at a, at a point where you literally don't turn it off until you turn off the ignition. Okay. Right. In other words, don't be there until you get there. Stay focused. Uh, just stay focused. Yeah. I don't mean mm-hmm. paranoid. Mm. You know, driving is a phenomenal, independent, you know, mm. uh, sense of freedom. And we everybody should enjoy it and get the benefits from it. We shouldn't be having conversations okay. like this. But it is up to us. Mm. 
Yeah, let's not be the next statistic because behind each of the statistics is a person who is no longer with us. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the programme again today. Tony Toner is a former guarded driving instructor and on-road driving consultant. Michael Reed on LMFM. You heard the Taoiseach earlier in the programme concede uh, that uh, the government probably did make uh, a mistake when it comes to the D Hotel. Not exactly his words, uh, but that is the upshot of what the Taoiseach said yesterday. It seems that this mistake will be a very costly mistake. The Taoiseach has said he wants the D Hotel to be a dual-purpose hotel. If you were listening earlier, you'd have heard Leo Radker say it can be done and it would be the best outcome all round. And perhaps, he said, that is what should have been done in the first place. The Taoiseach was responding to Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Imelda Munster. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, if... Uh, the hotel does become a dual-purpose hotel, uh, and if the contract is for twenty-five million over two years for five hundred people, that means uh, that it would be two hundred and fifty people for the twenty-five million, which would mean you'd have to spend another twelve and a half million housing the two hundred and fifty people who won't be staying in the D hotel as was planned, and that comes to a grand total of thirty-seven and a half million euro. Uh, if that is correct, uh, it really is a, a lot of money to have squandered. Oh, look at you. They've just made a complete and utter shambles of it. Um, you know, they, the Taoiseach had acknowledged yesterday that he'd said it was this was happened. The dual, dual um, use option was in a couple of other places and had been done. And that's when I had asked, well, if you know, if you knew that, why was it not part of the negotiations for this one? You know, why was it the contract signed and sealed without even negotiating that? You see, the galling thing, I think, for most people is it's it's not the, the people fleeing war and persecution. It's the fact that there was absolutely no uh, consultation with either local reps or communities until after the contract was signed. And as a result of that, we're losing our large functioning hotel and all of the repercussions of that, you know. Now, so if they knew it was possible to have that option as an option, why didn't they even pick up the phone to the public reps, as I said last week, and say, look, we're thinking of this with a couple of options well, open. You know the answer, you but you know the answer to the question, uh, and let me spell it out again for our listeners. Last mm-hmm. Thursday, Roderick O'Gorman, the Minister for Integration, yeah. said... It wasn't possible for the D to be a dual-purpose hotel. That can only happen, he said, if you're housing single male applicants. Mm-hmm. In the case of Drogheda, there's going to be families. The hotel cannot be dual-purpose because there's child protection concerns. Yeah. On Tuesday of this week, the minister said he wanted it to be a dual-purpose hotel uh, and that he was actively pursuing uh, that proposal. Uh, that has been uh, supported uh, by Leo Vradker, by Simon Coveney, by Helen McEntee. Uh, do you think uh, yeah. that the 
Minister Rodrigo Gorman, that is, was on a solo run on this, made this monumental cock-up and has been told by his cabinet colleagues to go and undo it at whatever the cost. I think, honestly, I think they weren't expect they've been caught on the hob because they weren't expecting the Ferrari that has come about because of it. Um, the minister, I sat in front of him at the table and he was categoric when he said that is not possible. The contract is signed and for all the reasons that you outlined. And then I heard the Taoiseach over the weekend saying the dual option could be examined. And that's when I thought, well, hang on, this, you know, are they just stringing people along because they weren't expecting the, you know, the inevitable frustration that people felt about losing the hotel? Were they just stringing people along? Because bear in mind, this change happens in, it was 16 days yesterday, so 15 days today. And, you know, we still don't know whether they've entered into discussion with the hotel owner. I actually got the impression that the Taoiseach, now I could be wrong, but I got the impression um, and I've seen nothing that says otherwise that both the Taoiseach and the minister haven't even had a conversation about this yet. That the Taoiseach spoke separately to the media at the weekend. The minister then came under pressure. He was forced to say it's now possible to do what he said was impossible a couple of days later. And your fear is, I hope they get something sorted. Of course I do. But why your do you fear think, is that why, they're just stringing people along yeah, because yeah, there's only heard, 15 days to go. We heard you say that. Uh, mm. And do you think that's what the Taoiseach was doing yesterday? Because the Taoiseach was in the doll yesterday saying this can be a dual-purpose hotel. That's what we want it to be. We're proactive in terms of trying to make it happen. But it all hinges on the hotel agreeing to renegotiate the contract. The ho- has any obviously nobody had spoken to the hotel because the hotel have made it clear mm-hmm. they say exactly what Rodrigo Gorman was saying last week this hotel cannot be a dual purpose hotel because there are child protection concerns yeah yeah so that's 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 where it com- you know my fear come in. are they just stringing people along because there's just 15 days to go will they come out and say the hotel owners wouldn't agree to it so it's not our fault. It's the hotel owns. Of course, it's their fault. It's been the handling of it has been shambolic, shambolic from the start, right up to date. You know, because they did it all without any consultation, without asking us what mm. the impact would be, even asking for suggestions of other properties that wouldn't result in taking an immediate. Well, away. talk to me about other properties because I think a lot of people want to know why the government would spend twenty-five million euro on accommodation over two years in a building that was sold a year ago for eleven million. Mm-hmm. They, I remember last year. Um, again, it was it was in relation to tourism and hotels and the hotels that had entered into contracts um, to put up Ukrainian refugees. And I'd asked the minister about um, was there a plan for for government to actually provide accommodation because hotels, the length and breadth, particularly in tourism areas, tourism areas, were talking about the economic. Um, effect it was having on on towns and businesses and that. And at that time, and that was last, um, I think it was March or April, and I'd raised that. And the response I got was that the government had plans for 700 rapid build mobile homes, right? That would that would have housed between four and six people. Um, and they had said that the, the the objective was to install 500 of those by March or April of last year. Mm-hmm. 
I spoke to our housing uh, spokesperson, Ono Breen, and he said roughly about 100 have been built. So in this, we're now 12 months on from the date that they said 500 of those 700 were to be built, and there's 100. So they made no effort whatsoever to provide, to do, you know, to put in. And at that time, they'd said it was a cross-departmental group that was overseeing that. So if a cross-departmental mm. group couldn't get it together. Do you think there's a question of competency for Minister Rodrigo O'Gorman, given the cack-handed way that this issue has been dealt with? So, yes, there would. Do I recognise that he is a tough job? Of course, of course he does. But was I absolutely furious with him that he didn't take anyone into consideration for Yes, I was. And I made that clear to him, mm. but over the phone and then when I met him. But you see there what I'm after saying about last year being told in March or April that a, cross, a government cross-departmental um, group were, were going about building those rapid homes. And between all of the government departments, they failed miserably. And I don't think the Taoiseach expected the Ferrari that kicked off, you know, mm. the annoyance of losing her the question, and what, that was the reaction. But who is the question for? Is it for the Taoiseach or is it for the minister? Because let's not forget that the minister said on Thursday it's impossible and on mm. Tuesday the same proposal which was impossible on Thursday was suddenly made possible. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think the minister in many, many ways, is entirely responsible for the sense that, you know, they, particularly over the last 12 months, they have promised. And even what went on, you know, just weeks prior down the country, they had promised engagement with communities and public reps, and they'd promised to liaise with them and all of that. None of that happened again. After everything they'd learned and, you know, to try and to quell that feeling that was out there, they did nothing to, to help that whatsoever. Mm. And this is a classic example. But I think government have always been quite happy to just leave it all to, to himself and not play an active role themselves in it. You know, and yeah. that's why when the T-shirt came out the weekend and jumped on it saying, oh, the dual option. Mm. Well, where was he when this contract? Well, you know, where, what direction did he give to ministers to but say this... every option should be explored? It should be put to communities. Mm. And then... That should all be done before a contract is signed. But it's only possible now after the contracts have been signed for millions of euro. Uh, that seems uh, to be the case. And the sense I'm getting from people is that this is salt in the wound, uh, that you're going to listen to us uh, and it's going to cost us 12.5 million euro. Yeah, yeah. more money for the, to make up for the shambles that they've made of it. Look, it sticks in in everyone's craw, you know, but they've just made an absolute shambles of it and they've fueled a situation, you know, that nobody wanted to, to see. And as I said, the majority of people don't have a problem with people fleeing war and persecution. It's when the, your government just makes an utter shambles of it, when they don't provide the, the state rapid build homes that they promised that would accommodate people fleeing persecution and asylum seekers. And instead, they opt for the, the, you know, privatising, the quick solution, privatising the, the policy of immigration by taking hotels yeah. and other amenities from communities. Mm. 
And That's exactly what they're doing. And who could blame the hotels? Uh, this is very profitable business for hotels, far more profitable than hoping that people will book a room in your hotel. This is guaranteed Which income. Is guaranteed at, income. At, yeah, at yeah. a much higher rate than yeah, you would yeah. have commanded in the yeah. first instance. Uh, yeah. Why is it that the government is commercialising this, as you put it? Why is it paying out so much money to people uh, to run this as a business when it could be buying buildings at half the cost? We heard about a number of buildings, let alone the modular homes that the government has spent billions on, that are still lying idle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the latter requires work and effort and determination. And the government's option is always, it's no different than housing, private landlords. It's just the, the option, look at here, we've a problem here, let's just put it out, let's just privatise our immigration policy, let's take hotels, take whatever other functioning buildings, issue a contract that's crazy, crazy, crazy um, cost to the taxpayers' money um, and let, in the hope that that'll solve the problem, rather than actually planning and providing and avoiding all of this. Okay. We should just mention to conclude that uh, we have asked Roderick O'Gorman uh, to speak uh, to people listening to the radio station uh, on a, a number of occasions. The Minister has not made himself available, but thank you for making yourself available to us today and for joining us on the programme. That is Sinn Féin TD for Louth and East Mead, the Melda Munster. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let me bring you some more of uh, the many comments that have uh, been Coming to us uh, this morning, a text from somebody who says, why should there be consultation about the D Hotel? None of the locals ever used it. The state of Drogheda, it's a shambles, a ghost town, says our caller. Another text then about the roads. A lot of people in touch with us about the roads saying, I know this isn't the ultimate solution, but secondary school children, especially TY students, should have the rules of the road as a subject on the curriculum and an exam on completion plus talks about speed, etc. Mary texting us saying she had a young lad weaving in and out on a scrambler at the boot of my car, trying to hurry me on. He frightened the life out of me and scramblers aren't supposed to be on the road, says Mary. Betty Daly texting too today saying, Michael, with all of uh, the road deaths lately, if uh, drugs are the cause of someone's death, then it shouldn't be classed as an accident. It's manslaughter and the driver should get a sentence to suit the crime. An Avon listener says uh, there's an arrogance on the roads uh, these days. Speed is the only thing some drivers know and law-abiding drivers are a nuisance in their way. Speed detection, vans, more of them. It's the only answer and changing road signs won't make any difference, says our caller. Mick and Kel says, I think it's down to the driver at the end of the day. Speed is a killer. If you come to a bad bend, you lose control. I, I take pity on motorists who are coming the other way. Yeah, valid point, Mick. Mary says, Michael, it's really sad, very sad, but we have to look at why and what is happening. It's mostly young people and speed impatient. They have... 
to stop blaming older people because they're being careful, says Mary. Uh, on the D Hotel, a listener in Castle Blaney, I take it, in touch saying the same thing happened in the Glen Carn Hotel as is happening in Drogheda and there's not much talk about it. Also a big loss to the town of Castle Blaney. Tom, I uh, read Tom's earlier, sorry. Uh, Mag, why uh, in touch about the D Hotel saying, Michael, name the numbskull who sold his soul for a few bloody euros at the protest over the loss of the D Hotel uh, in Drogheda. I don't think money was actually, I think it was more of a joke than anything, but uh, uh, I probably should have said that earlier. Uh, I don't think anything was paid <laughs> to the person who spoke, uh, Mag, uh, but thanks uh, for that. Claire uh, says it's time for the government to go. If they were in business, they'd have been sacked long ago. Jim in Summerhill says, what's the difference in the D Hotel and the hotel that closed down the country if people say anything on your show they are far right which we're not uh, and he, he says uh, that uh, the show bullies people uh, I hope that's not the case Jim um, he, uh, we've another text down from a caller who says uh, the D Hotel is laughing all the way to the bank 25 million euro over two years our government are so bad why 25 million 10 million is too much a, a, a big laughing joke a lot of money if it's so plentiful, why not fix our hospitals? Uh, will it be our houses next? Uh, says Claire in Mead, uh, who sends uh, that message to us. Thanks, Claire, as always. Uh, another text from somebody who says, also the former Westcourt Hotel. Now, Marcy's is fully occupied by Ukrainian refugees. Uh, loss of tourism rooms uh, would be 60%. Hopefully shared use for the D goes ahead. Tom and Navin says, uh, can you see the problem now, Michael? It's not the migrants. 99% of people know this and they realise this. It's the mess that the government got us into. It started with nighttime busloads of people uh, 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 of course this was going to upset and frighten people why can't the government just do things right a, a, a five year old would do better in Tom's view God I don't think you could be more critical Tom but uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us uh, and WhatsApp message then from Sean in Dublin 9 who says someone once said that working in RTE was just like living with a happy family you can say that again how is it that the family connections of ex-RTE employees were able to walk into a cushy job with RTE. Their names keep popping up in various positions. It's a closed shop. It's no wonder that they want confidentiality. Uh, Sean says a lot of them should be sacked uh, and start again with a clean sheet. Uh, another strong comment. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Um, we'd uh, Michael in touch saying, is it true that the D Hotel was for sale for something around 10 million? And if it was, why rent the rooms as reported for 25 million over two years and leave the Barnes function room with the D and have nothing to show at the end of it? Buy it outright and then sell it at the end, says Michael. Thank you. Uh, a WhatsApp message from John Conlon uh, about Tony Toner talking about road safety. He says Tony was totally correct. It's not the car that's the problem on the roads. It's the drivers. Thanks as always, John, for your message uh, to the programme. Dave on that as well, saying I think the theory test and road safety should be part of uh, the school curriculum. Similar to an earlier text, uh, Dave says if we are really serious about this, we could get young students 
ready for the driving desk before uh, they leave school. Paddy uh, says, God bless anybody who died on the roads. Tony Toner is saying nothing wrong, but my firm belief is uh, that the core problem here is attitude and time. We've been conditioned, uh, the Celtic Tiger, uh, again, not to stop, keep going at all costs. Before we even get out onto the road, we're rushing. Just take a check out uh, in the shops. The subliminal pressure is ever-present. Lastly, I, I pick up litter in Termin Fecken and yesterday I had to take evasive action not to get hit by a car that simply hasn't got the time to stop. Let oncoming cars pass and safely overtake me. I had to throw a bag onto the ground so I could react quickly, says Paddy. Thank you for that. Uh, another text uh, from Damien Dan following our discussion with Adrienne Riley of Dignity for Patience. Delighted to hear her on the show this morning. When she speaks, you can hear her passion and sense her feeling for the victims of Michael Shine. Thanks, Damien. Uh, Breeden touch saying, Michael, I was in Drogheda yesterday. Everybody was talking about the hotel and saying uh, they're very concerned about it. Uh, Thanks uh, for that, Breda. Uh, Olivia in Drada about students on the road. Uh, she says that there were groups of TY students uh, doing a course in a local racetrack. Uh, but uh, can you get insurance uh, to, to run a course like that, uh, says Olivia. Well, thank you indeed. That has to be the final word. Our time is up. Uh, we've run out of time. In other words, thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching. Chris Murray was in the control tower. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie